You're listening to a bonus episode of On the Tape. I'm Danny Moses and proud to welcome in my dear friend Brady Cobb. Brady, welcome to the special episode. We're dropping this on 420, buddy. Yeah, we'll drop into this and uh, hopefully get a joint in your hand on 420 maybe too, Uncle Danny. Uh, there you go. So Brady, just for those people out there, the way of background, you and I met several years ago when you were the CEO of Soul Global and we were working on a deal together in Michigan. You're a veteran in the space. I know you have the scars to prove it. You've been working in every aspect of this business from the policy side to the operation side. And I don't think there's anybody that has gone you know, from end to end like you have. And I think the best place to start where everyone seems to be a little bit obsessed for the right reasons is on the policy front. Here we are you know, approaching 420 here. And every year we get excited that something's going to happen. And I think people have just gotten tired of, of waiting. Meanwhile, companies still need to operate. So Maybe a quick update on your end, since I know you've been involved on the state and federal level with policy. Give us an update on what what we should be looking for here. Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a very frustrating, call it seven months, eight months. Actually, probably date that back to when last January you know, January of 2021, when Democrats came in and took control of the House and the Senate, as well as the White House. You know, a slim majority in the Senate, but control nonetheless. And there's been a lot of talk about cannabis and very little action. I know you like music. Elvis fits very nicely here. A little less conversation, a little more action, I think is what everybody was expecting on the federal policy reform. And it just hasn't happened. We had a very close look on safe banking, which is a huge first step. It's a bill that's passed the U.S. House five times with broad bipartisan support north of, you know, hundreds, I think it was a hundred and change Republicans last time that voted in favor of state banking. And every single time it gets called up, it gets an even more powerful bipartisan vote out of the House. And then it just goes to the Senate to die. And in years past, you could blame the death on Mitch McConnell, partisan politics. The strangeness of this one is, and it's right out of the, as my, as my lobby partner, Pete Landrum, and I call it the upside down from that show, Stranger Things, it's largely been the upside down where safe banking was not killed by old white Republican guys in D.C. It was killed by Democratic leadership in the Senate. And they actually own the kill. They, they kind of pimped it out a little bit. So and they've been teasing us with well, we, we didn't want to let safe go first because we want to have our big bill, the Cannabis Administration and Authorization Act, go first. And Senator Schumer, Majority Leader Schumer, Senators Booker and Senator Wyden have formed this trio and they've been teasing us with this bill since they released a discussion draft back in September of 2021. That was supposed to have been filed. It hasn't been filed yet. Then we were told that safe banking was killed late last year to allow this discussion draft to be filed formally. Uh, and here we sit in late April on April 19th. And as of uh, two weeks ago, the consensus based on Senator uh, Majority Leader Schumer's tweets was that the CAOA was going to be released uh, any day. It was going to be likely released right around 420. And then last week, he signaled, coincidentally, the day after the expiration of the primary deadline for AOC to challenge him for his Senate seat expired, and she did not file to challenge him. Then he said, okay, we're going to wait and not release this bill until August, or sometime before the August recess. And, you know, the cannabis markets have taken another tumble as a result. It's been a slow bleed, then that bleed kind of escalated. They're not trading. I, I think you can talk to this better than me. They're not trading based on fundamentals. But just from a legislative standpoint, the fits and starts are not providing institutions and or any of the real money to come into the space, any type of comfort as to when this federal change is going to arrive. And I think you're right. People are getting tired. 
doesn't change the investability of the marketplace from my standpoint. I'm, I'm in. I, I, this is a one of those few times in history where retail gets to front run institutions because of the schedule one problem. But I still firmly believe it's going to be safe banking. And I actually believe that what Senator Schumer did is bullish for safe banking to be included. I think if you were to ask me, I get asked this question quite a bit. Why did they pull the CAOA? It was a political pandering moment. I think everyone knows and everyone has signaled that the CAOA is, is DOA in the Senate. It's not going to get anywhere near the 11 Republican votes that it needs to be able to come out of that chamber. I don't think it's going to get every Democrat vote. There's been, when, it, when it was released as a discussion draft, there were several moderate Democrats that were not necessarily aligned with the bill. And I think Senator Schumer took a peek at that partisan vote count on the Moore Act in the House where, you know, I think only one or two Republicans crossed the aisle. And that was a pretty clear signal of what would potentially come in the Senate. And he wanted to have a press moment on the CAOA closer to the midterms to try to score some points with his base. I think what we're going to see, though, is now they need a win on cannabis. And the only potential win that they have is safe banking. That bill has passed the House five times. It has the necessary votes in the Senate from the Republican side to pass. And it's already in the House version of the China Competes Act, uh, which is just appointed conferees. And that's a bill that will pass sometime, call it between now and summer recess. And Speaker Pelosi has very vocally stated that she supports Representative Perlmutter in keeping safe banking in. And she's not going to back down in the conference process if the Senate wants to take it out. We never had that before. Just this last week, we had Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, support safe banking. Maxine Waters supports safe banking. So the endorsements for safe are even better than they were in our last attempt last November. And politically, Democrats need some type of a cannabis win. Now, does it include criminal justice or social justice? No. But can we achieve those another way? Potentially, yes. Clemency programs and the HOPE Act. So it's going to be a very interesting, we are in an active period between now and call it summer recess, where I think we'll probably have our best shot at seeing safe pass. Not a guarantee, but our best shot. I would say that our good friend, Isaac Boltanski, who's a policy analyst at BTIG, who has been on top of this, you've spoken to him many times. We've had him actually together with you on the podcast before, and he's now turned positive. He's optimistic. He's almost saying there's no question it gets done during this Congress. And whether it happens in the SAFE Act, in the version of this China Competes Act over the next couple months, let's hope so. I think there's some confusion out there, though, into what Schumer's bill that he wants to throw out there, which is DOA. I say this all the time, but the states are already doing that work for him. I mean, so the the whole pardon issue, the whole social justice cause is happening, whether he's paying attention to it or not. And I think that's a big misnomer that's kind of out there. So Back to your point, though, in terms of the stocks, because that is the report card, right? That's what people look at. And if you just want to look at the MSOS, which, as we know, is, you know, Green Thumb, True Leaf, Cure Leaf, Verano, those are like the top four that are in there, along with Cresco. Those make up roughly 60% of it right there. And the ability to buy these stocks, you know, is still very difficult. It's really retail heavy hands, right? There's no institutions that own the U.S. names. These are just orphan stocks that, that kind of trade around and they trade on sentiment as much as they do fundamentals. But Behind the scenes, the macro in the trade is only getting better. More states are approving cannabis for adult use or are on track to do so. The growth and popularity among the consumer in the U.S. just continues to grow. And the alcohol companies are literally the barbarians at the gate just waiting. And maybe talk a little bit about that, and we'll go back to the stocks in a second, about when we see the SAFE Act come and go. Let's say it gets when we see the rally in the stocks and then maybe the hangover the next day. Okay, what does it mean? 
I'd love to get your interpretation of what it means, and then I can talk about what that means for the stocks themselves. I mean, if you were to look at what is potentially, cannabis is now legal in over 40 states in the United States. It has market cap. You've got companies that are multi-state operators that are billion-dollar companies posting positive net cash, positive EBITDA, all in spite of 50% or more, in some cases, 60% effective tax rates and cost of capital north of 10%. So the investability is there. I mean, if you look at what these companies trade at on a, on a multiple basis of EBITDA, it's a joke as compared to some of their peers. So the moment's there, it's just institutional capital has not been able to flow into the space yet. The exchanges that were on either pinks and or in the case of MSOS, one of the ETFs or a lot of the other ETFs that are out there, they're all on swap or you're trading on the Canadian Securities Exchange, which requires a seatbelt and a couple of drinks before you even begin trading. It's a mess. It's an incredibly, we don't have a fundamentals problem in cannabis. We have a plumbing problem in cannabis. So Safe Banking Act can serve to fix and begin the process of remediating that plumbing problem. And it, it, you know, base, baseline is we're selling a Schedule One drug right now. Even though it's state legal, it's still Schedule One. So all the federally chartered banks can't actively service the space. The securities custodians can't. The exchanges can't accept U.S. listings for U.S. companies. They can only accept listings for Canadian companies, uh, which makes no sense. Safe banking immediately requires FinCEN and Treasury to update their guidance for marijuana-related businesses, and more particularly as it pertains to the, what keeps most of that institutional capital and the exchanges and everybody on the sidelines is the anti-money laundering guidance. Because if they were to participate in the business and then all of a sudden they're potentially uh, committing money laundering. So once that new guidance come out, once safe banking passes, then you're going to have the opportunity for new regulations, for the regulators to have a comfort level, and ultimately U.S. listings, U.S. banks entering the space, institutional capital and, and real clearinghouses entering the space. And then ultimately, our uh, biggest uh, barbarians at the gate, alcohol, tobacco, are going to be able to come across the wall and start making active investments and or takeovers into what will be the biggest CPG growth category, in my opinion, that this country has seen in the last, call it 40 to 50 years. And ultimately, they're already all playing ball. Danny and I talk about this all the time. Every major alcohol distributor, Diageo, Breakthrough, Southern Wine and Spirits, all already are distributing cannabis in Canada and CBD in the United States. They're learning shelf stability. They're learning how to move it around. They're learning what sells. They're going to start to figure out that brands matter too, which we can talk about later. Constellation Brands, $4 billion in the canopy. That wasn't so they could sell flour and pre-rolls up in Canada. That was to develop a beverage and to get a comfort level with the space. And by the way, that was a huge bet. Altria has gone in through Kronos, the tobacco company Altria has gone in. And then you also have to look at some of these larger uh, Canadian names that, you know, the Canadian, you know, Tilray and the canopies of the world, when there's any type of legislative talk in the US, those stocks absolutely rip. And they rip because they're traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Well, they don't want to be in Canada forever. They're all sitting on healthy balance sheets. They're going to want to come in and actually be able to execute upon cross-border deals and be able to access U.S. markets. And they're going to be looking for brands and they're going to be looking for operators. But none of this can happen. Literally, all of it is there. Everyone's treading water, waiting for something like safe banking to pass. And I think one of the things that's often overlooked that I believe Senator Booker and Senator Schumer have woken up to is that there does need to be a push for restorative justice. This war on drugs has put a lot of people in prison unnecessarily, my father being one of them, and countless, you know, the war took a heavy toll in, in communities of color, and those need to be remediated. But the only way you're going to be able to get those social equity applicants to be able to meaningfully access cannabis industry and the marketplace is they need startup capital. 
I mean, if you have a good balance sheet and you go raise a bunch of capital and you launch your business and you get a 13% rate on financing on debt, that's a great rate. That's hard money lending anywhere else, Danny, as you know. There's no way that a small business owner coming out of the ground that has a cannabis conviction that is now getting to enter the space is going to be able to go get a cost of capital lower than 17, 18%. It's just not possible. So, and I think there's an interesting read there that not many people picked up on, but the state of New York, it just recently announced the most ambitious plan to remediate the ills of the war on drugs in a social equity program where they said they're going to give out the first hundred dispensary licenses in New York to people with cannabis convictions. Very bold and commendable. Only works if they have access to bank accounts, though. And remember, Senator Schumer is from New York, and the governor of New York made this announcement. I very highly doubt, this is me speculating, but I very highly doubt the governor of New York would roll out a program like that unless she knew that bank accounts were going to be available via something like safe banking passing. There had to have been a conversation there in my mind. I mean, I'm a conspiracy optimist, but all of what I just described for M&A activity and, and explosive growth for this industry hinges on access to capital and fixing our plumbing problem. You bring up a great point. You know, every time I see positive news in the space and the sector, it's the Canadian names that start moving you know, because they are the only ones that institutions can actually trade. And so we know there's a wall of capital coming. We know several of these hedge fund managers are investing personally in the sector and they're waiting and they're setting up funds, as we know, to actually go and, and invest in the sector when it's time and already trying to find a way to do it now. What's really frustrating to me is that you know, the cost of capital remains high for a lot of these large multi-state operators, right? And they use whatever means they can for capital. They issue equity, it's very expensive. They issue debt, it's very expensive. And they do these sale lease backs, which are expensive. But they're doing all this to your point. These are technical loopholes that they have to get through, yet the fundamentals of the business are there. There's tax issues they have to deal with. There's human resource issues that they have to deal with. So I commend them. But I'm just looking, you know, MSOS is down 28% year to date. And I'm looking at some of these market caps. The market caps aren't down. And the reason that would be the stocks is because they're issuing so many shares, right, for business to make acquisitions, to grow, to compensate employees, because it's the way they have to do it. There's just, and it just needs to be fixed. And it starts, in my opinion, to your point, with a safe act. Now, it'll pass and it'll take a while to implement, but I think that'll be the green light for the banks to start coming in. And I think lending into the space and it'll be the cover that a lot of these institutions need or want in order to go by the sector. So, Let's shift a little bit to the brand side of things because we're going to come full circle into what you're up to now because brands are going to start to matter or they are starting to matter now. There's only a few that are kind of out there that really have a quote name for themselves. I think it's really interesting because as cannabis continues to penetrate the consumer, um, this is going to matter. So can you talk to that a little bit and kind of what you're seeing there? In any industry, in any CPG category, brands matter. And in cannabis thus far, it's been a land race. It's been get as many licenses as you could. They all went public. Every MSO went public as quickly as they could. Almost every cannabis company went public as quickly as they could so they could access some form of capital. Was it efficient capital? No, but it was, you know, when it's the only thing you got, you go do it. So all of the minute you go public, Danny, as you know, you're immediately beholden to earnings reports and earnings numbers. So you can't pivot and go build a cannabis company properly so that you can produce quality product over and over again, you are in a land race. Because remember, it's not like alcohol where you can just set up your distribution and manufacturing facility in a state. Like if you're in alcohol and you're in bourbon, you set up your manufacturing in Tennessee and you got warehouses everywhere with, 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 with your distributors. In cannabis, if you're, in if you're a 10 state multi-state operator, that means you have individual siloed operations in all 10 states. And it's not like you can go back and change things to try to 
create a new quality product and or refocus yourself to produce quality products so that you can really build a brand that doesn't exist. So the brand experience outside of cookies really hasn't happened in cannabis yet. And it's going to matter. We talk to a lot of alcohol industry folks, they're, they're investors, and they all want to buy brands. They want to buy something that has authenticity. Ultimately, alcohol, tobacco are going to want to distribute brands. They're not looking to, to distribute garden variety cannabis that's, that's been churned out of a soulless facility that's been machine trimmed. And it's just kind of there. They're going to want something that is an, actually a brand. And that is not just me saying that. I mean, there's a lot of very industry savvy executives in alcohol who are beginning to look at the space and all those industries were all built on having proper brands with authenticity so and what we're going to go do next that's a big focus for us and that's one of the reasons that we're going to stay private so that we have the ability to build it right from the front end and i think you're going to see there's going to be winners and losers there's, there's going to be short-term fast nickel winners there's, i think you've already seen some of those there's already been a plenty of get rich stories in cannabis and in the, in, the, in the fast nickel department, the slow dime is where I think the real winners are going to show up. And that's ultimately going to be those that build brands that ultimately can partner with alcohol for broader distribution and really become an, something that alcohol and the alcohol distributors want to push around the country because make no mistake about it. Alcohol is also a gating issue to cannabis. When the alcohol lobby is, you know, they've already passed that. If you can't beat them, join a moment. We're there but they're going to control and they're going to have a big say given their political influence on how this cannabis reform ultimately looks like in the U.S. and how it's rolled out. And don't think for a second there's not going to be something like a three-tier system like our alcohol already has. It works. It's worked for a long time. So I say that not as conjecture. I say that as someone that's in the room, in the meetings, in D.C., it's coming. So ultimately, brands are going to matter. And that's, that's kind of one of my key focuses for our 2.0. So I know you're a big believer in the plant and I'll seriousness. And I think you believe in the medical benefits of it, recreational benefits of it. You just made a comment about alcohol. Alcohol is freaking out, obviously, because they see in their areas where they sell lots what's happening where cannabis is legal, um, the impact that it's having. And I think that consumers are slowly trying to figure that out. Maybe talk a little bit about, I mean, I know you saw your dad firsthand go through cancer, a very painful cancer, and how it helped him and kind of what led you to this. And I just want to comment again that we've seen two very large healthcare transactions in the last few years, right? I mean, Pfizer most recently bought shares of Arena, I think for a hundred bucks per share in an all cash transaction. I think it was roughly $7 billion deal, right? That doesn't happen by accident. A lot of research goes into that. And we also know, I'll add before you answer that Big Pharma has had a huge block in DC on this sector in general. And they're as nervous, if not more nervous than the alcohol industry. So maybe just talk to that a little bit and kind of what it meant to you. Yeah. I mean, as someone that operated dispensaries here in Florida, it was amazing to get to meet the patients that came in to see us. And veterans who couldn't leave their house with PTSD and pain who were able to get out and go enjoy their lives again on a non-addictive basis that had already, you know, a lot of those guys had watched a lot of their fellow veterans get addicted to opioids. So cancer patients and even even milder things friends of ours who busy moms who no longer wanted to have three glasses of wine after a stressful day of running around homework sports and everything else that instead would you know have a half an edible or or hit a vaporizer pen and only have one glass of wine and wake up feeling better and be a better person the next day it's going to be transformative it already is and that's one of the things I, that's one of my biggest problems with a lot of the corporate cannabis you know msos that are out there right now is they all believe that they have to educate consumers on what cannabis is. This is a plant, this is a product that has been a vibrant, has had a vibrant marketplace for the past 50, 60 years. 
They have their own nomenclature, their own music. They have their own holidays. We're about to celebrate one of them tomorrow. So it's, it's more about just recognizing its moment in the sun. We're just not to live in the shadows anymore as we begin more and more state legalization and ultimately federal reform. And as I, in my opinion, it's about honoring that and it's about actually adopting the cannabis culture, not trying to create a pseudo pharmaceutical company. Farmers going to come in at some point, but it's a really cool culture. I mean, it's been making concerts better and your in-laws tolerable around the holidays for 50, 60 years. So ultimately, as you see it kind of have the opportunity to expand, that's what's what keeps me pushing and keeps me so excited is, as I have personally witnessed people that were hard nose on cannabis, hard nose. My mother, my mother being one of them, mom, I hope you're listening, hard nose, okay? Ultimately flip and now realize that it's something that helps them sleep through the night or get a little relaxation at the end of the day. Seeing those little instances of, of how effective it can be on a broader scale is what keeps me pushing through all the pain that is being in the cannabis marketplace, as well as building a business amidst all this crazy, you know, the financial services deficiencies that we have and the legal issues and everything else is that there's very few product classes that can come into a marketplace and have that big of a transformative effect on such a broad class of human beings. It doesn't matter who you are, where you live, or how much money you make. If it makes you feel better, you're probably going to give it a go. And that's what I think is such so interesting about this space. And I think it's, it's where I'm excited to go build our next, our next brand and go build what we're going to do next is to actually be able to do that authentically instead of trying to just kind of be a pharmaceutical wannabe, but to actually be able to adopt and, 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 and live the cannabis culture that's already out there. I, I'm excited to see how that's received. So on February 28th of this year, there was an announcement that MedMen to sell Florida assets to Green Century Holdings for $83 million. So anyone that looks up Green Century Holdings can see the address that you're sitting in right now and who the proprietors of Green Century Holding are. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, kind of what that's going to look like and what your plans are here for this thing, Brady? Yeah, we're very excited. We obviously sold to Cresco, our last business to Cresco Labs last April, and we took a bunch of time off, study the marketplace, kind of figure out what we wanted our next move to be. And this was the perfect opportunity for us. MedMen has an amazing set lineup of stores in Florida, 15 really, really good premium locations. If anyone's familiar with MedMen, they, the one thing they do tremendously well is site stores, better than anybody in the, in the marketplace, in my humble opinion. And in Florida, they, they put together the best portfolio. And I say that as someone that's competed against them now twice over for store locations. So they did a tremendous job. And ultimately, we're, we're buying that. We're also buying, you know, they've got some great people. And then more importantly, they've got a, a good cultivation facility that we're going to turn around and then we're going to go build 100,000 square feet of new indoor. And ultimately, at some point down the road, we're going to pivot and launch our own brand, which I can tell you is called, it's going to be called Sunburn Cannabis. That name is tied directly back to my father's path in, in, in cannabis. So it's largely to honor him and every other person, every other person in cannabis that was ahead of their time, I think it's the nicest way to say it. Ultimately, the DEA task force that was commissioned to arrest my father was called Operation Sunburn. So as a tip of the hat to Florida and Florida smuggling and, and the culture and my father and every other smuggler like him, we named our next uh, brand, which will roll out at some point in the future, Sunburn Cannabis. So we're incredibly excited to do it. I was able to keep my entire team together, which I guess speaks to their buy-in and, and belief in what it is that we want to go do, which is we're only going to focus on the top end of the market. We're only going to focus on premium hand-trimmed flour and, and solventless concentrates. I don't consider myself as competing with Cure Leaf or True Leaf or any of those companies because they're focused on a much different space and they're providing a much different product. We are going to compete at the top end of the market and really to honor the plant and to 
focus on being the, if I, if you were to ask me what we're building, we're trying to build the LVMH of cannabis. You know, if everybody else is Walmart and Winn-Dixie, we're building Whole Foods, less stores, higher volume, higher margin. So incredibly excited, rolled the sleeves up, just got back from kind of my last nice little vacation with the family uh, for spring break to decompress. And then it's going to be back in the saddle running hard until we get this thing off the ground. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Danny. We're excited about it. So I think a lot of people don't understand. I'm going to talk about just the state of Florida for a minute, because when cannabis originated really in the U.S., it was all about the state of California. Then it became, what's the next market that's kind of mature that legalized early? Colorado. And then here comes Florida, which as we know is just approved for medical use only, not recreational like it is in Colorado and California. Do you think people realize that right now Florida is the third largest state just given, you know, with only 700 and something thousand people in the medical program? Can you talk to that? And then one other point I want to make, people out there that understand, in a limited license state like Florida, where it requires vertical integration, how key it is to be an operator. And I think what really sets you and your team apart is the ability to operate. And you always say, by the jockey, not the horse. I mean, the horses can all be the same, but it's a jockey. So I think if you can just comment on Florida in general and what's ahead for the state of Florida, you think, coming? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason we had an opportunity when we left Cresco to go ahead and, and work in a myriad of different states. And we've consulted in other states. We've consulted in Arizona. Uh, we've consulted out in California. And we chose a couple of those states. We chose those two states specifically because we had the opportunity to see what happens when a medical market goes. We Obviously, California is the biggest market in the world. So any experience you can glean from California is huge. Then you got to look at a state like Arizona. We, we've been doing a turnaround out there. And what's interesting about Arizona, why we focused on it is Arizona just made that pivot from a medical to adult use. And it was kind of going out there to be able to study what made a successful store that in that transition. And what we found is standalone locations that were in high traffic areas that had ample parking because you have to turn a lot of bodies to the store when your patient population goes from in Arizona, I want to say it was 900,000 to a million to now the full state of Arizona over the age of 21, you got to have a major ramp up to be able to satisfy that many customers. You need to have stores that can push people through them. So ultimately for us, it was as we look at the state of Florida, we're from here. My father's story and my story in cannabis is here. Most of my team is based here. Even the guys that I moved from the West Coast, from California and from Colorado in over here from the cultivation and, and processing and lab side to help us build Bluma, they've all stayed here once we left Cresco. Florida's home for us. So it was natural for us to focus on Florida. But I think the most interesting thing about Florida is if and when Florida goes adult use, whether that's in 24, 26, or 28, it'll be the biggest market in the world. I don't, you know, no one will convince me otherwise. And I say that because you have 21 million residents and you've got 118 million annual visitors over the age of 21. Highest tourism in the country. From a demographic standpoint, on the influx side, it could not be better. From a licensing standpoint, as an operator, you're a limited license. Right now, Florida varies between the top five generally the top three of, of states by sales, but the states that are ahead of us all have adult use for the most part. We only have 700,000 patients and we're in the top five in sales in the country. Imagine when that's over the age of 21. Anyone over the age of 21 who's down here on vacation is a potential purchaser. Florida will be, if not the biggest, one of the top two largest markets in the United States, if not the world, whenever it goes adult use. And we're gonna be right here in a driver's seat 
not from a market share standpoint, you know, Kim Rivers, tip of the hat to her, truly has 114 stores, I think, maybe plus or minus. They, they open one every couple of days, it seems like. But they're not A-plus store locations. And I'm not looking to be her from a volume standpoint. She's, she's, she's McDonald's. We are building our stores that we're acquiring are main street locations, standalone buildings, ample parking. We took what we learned in Arizona and we found the right deal for us in Florida and what we want to go do. And when Florida makes that pivot, it's going to be, for those that are ready for that moment, one of the biggest, highest volume states with only, it'll be by then, if they if the state actually does, there's 21 licenses right now. There's talk they're going to go issue another round. It'll still pale in comparison to the license numbers in some of the other states that are ahead of Florida right now. California is 13,000. Colorado is 6,000. Florida, 21. So from a, from a market standpoint, it's, it's the best market, in my opinion, right now in the country, if you're just looking at the value of the licenses. Looking ahead to tomorrow and next couple of days, we got the Mazinga Cannabis Conference. They do it annually. I'm not sure what to expect coming out of this. I know you're on a couple of panels um, that you're going to be on. A lot of the same characters I see are on here. Some new faces coming into the. Do you expect anything market moving to come out of this over the next couple of days? More of the same. What do you think the main theme will be coming out of that thing? I mean, from my perspective, I think usually conferences, and there's a bunch of people at this conference. There's there's quite a few CEOs, a bunch of the big funds are there. I mean, you're starting to see when we got Ricky Sandler there from the, from Eminence Capital. You've got some of the bigger funds are all in town. There could be a market making deal. There could be a you know I think you're going to continue continue to see potential for consolidation in the industry amongst the tier ones and tier two operators right now. It's such an inefficient marketplace and the stocks are trading so low, it's, it kind of sets up that it's better to join forces. I mean, we just recently saw that Cresco Columbia Care deal. I think you could see a couple more like that. But I also think I'm particularly enthused to get down there and to, to see some of the new faces. I mean, as I look through some of the speakers, there's some people that I haven't seen at cannabis conferences. There's a lot of outside institutional capital that's showing up, uh, whether they're hedge funds or, or private equity. And that just signals to me that they all recognize how close safe banking is. I'm actually moderating a panel on with one of the bigger lenders in the space, AFC Gamma, which is uh, run by Len Tannenbaum. I'm, I'm moderating a space or a panel with him. And I think, you know, you're seeing a lot of these lenders get very active in media and also as well as in the process because they're recognizing that safe banking comes. They, they're going to need to adjust their business plans a little bit because if, if banks can, if U.S. banks can enter the space, it is not private lending. It's going to get a little bit more interesting for them. So you're seeing a lot of these lenders. There's, there's several lending panels on the on the agenda. I saw Danny with a, just about every major lender in the space: Chicago Atlantic, Focus Growth. They're all going. They all have representatives. Silver Spike. They all have rep, representatives speaking. And I think that just tells you they all recognize that there's a big change coming, and it's time to get out ahead of it and and to kind of solidify their position in the space and 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 work with their borrowers to keep them. So. It's going to be really interesting to kind of take everyone's temperature when we're all together down there and to kind of see if any deals happen and or kind of see the tone. Because certainly having been to a lot of these cannabis events, Danny, I believe you keynoted one out in Vegas a couple of years ago. It was not this quality of human beings coming to events. Well, uh, that's because people not- will pay more to see you than they will me. But that's obvious, Brid. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> but, yeah no, no, but uh, but in all seriousness, here we are talking about and I, I was expecting to have like a a fun-filled conversation. Just We just kind of took this in a very factual manner, which is great. And you start to realize what a real industry this is. And you know your experience and the stuff that you're talking about, and over the next few days, we're going to hear about it 
this is moving forward, whether people want to believe it or not. And I think people need to stop using, although I can say that I'm, I'm an owner of some of these cannabis names myself, so I'm not pleased, but stop worrying about day-to-day movement in these names and just think about this thing as the, one of the greatest macro trades that's out there. And with the with the federal debt load of 30 plus trillion and the issues that are, I think are going to be coming down the pipeline in local and state municipalities, I can't think of a better potential source of revenue and economic growth that will probably be needed the most than the sector. So I think it has all the tailwinds that we need. And I really do believe in the medical benefits of it. And I think it's all going to come together, hopefully this year and over the next few years. And I'll just say this, not all of these lenders are rooting for the Safe Act to pass anytime soon, as you and I both know, because it's nice for them to be clipping, you know, 10, 12, 14% type rates right now, knowing to your point, they want to lend now before, you know, this thing all changes, but we'll see. It's a fluid situation. And so, Brady, we're going to have you back on here in a few months once you close your Florida deal and, and talk about, you know, progress you're making there and any other insights that you have. But I know I, I speak for myself, but I speak for a ton of people that love the industry that you have been and continue to be a great spokesperson for the entire sector and you're and you're fighting for legislature movements in both DC and in the state of Florida uh, don't go unrecognized or unappreciated so well Brady thanks for coming on to this special drop of on the tape and we hope to have you back on again soon no thank you guys anytime and uh hope to see you down in Miami you got it